Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 23 through 34 records what the Holy Spirit told the Apostle Paul concerning the Lord's Supper. I want us to focus in on verses 27 through 32 in particular. And I want to share with you looking into the Lord's body with understanding looking into the Lord's body with understanding. Father, we thank You for Your holy written Word and for the anointing, dear Father God, upon it and upon us so that we can accurately hear what You are saying to us by Your Spirit and have in-depth understanding of all things that pertain to life and godliness. I thank You for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of your word. I thank you, dear Father God, that ears are attentive to hear, hearts receptive, minds are open, and we will benefit, dear Father God, from your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, or in an unworthy manner, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of, our, of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh judgment, damnation, to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep or die prematurely. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. I want you to notice in verse 29 the word discerning and make a mental note of the fact that it means to look into with understanding. In verse 30, we see that the Spirit of God reveals to us through the Apostle Paul that many within the body of Christ experience physical weakness, sickness, and premature death due to the fact that they are unable to look into the body of the Lord properly. How many times have you heard someone say that the reason why this person is sick or I'm sick is due to the fact that I don't rightly discern the Lord's body. How many times have you heard a physician or doctor say your sickness is due to the fact 
that you do not rightly discern the Lord's body. Never. You hear them say that you're sick because of this and you're sick because of that. You're weak because of this and you're weak because of that. And they died prematurely because of this or they died prematurely because of that. But how often do we hear someone say that the reason for physical weakness, sickness, and premature death is due to the fact that someone is not rightly discerning the Lord's body. Now, I don't know about you, but I hold God's Word in high esteem. And if it reveals to us a major cause, a major reason why many are weak, sick, and die prematurely, I believe that that statement is worthy of our attention. Don't you? It's worthy of our intense study. Don't you think so? Absolutely. And so we want to discuss looking into the Lord's body with understanding this morning so that we can have the understanding that is necessary to rightly discern the Lord's body. Because I hold true to this fact, that if not discerning the Lord's body properly is the cause of weakness, sickness, and premature death among the saints, then... Properly discerning, rightly discerning the Lord's body should result in what? Strength, health, and longevity. Long life. Amen? And before I go any further, I want to emphasize the fact that he isn't necessarily talking about an act of judgment all the time that's coming upon a person because he or she's not rightly discerning the Lord's body. In other words, it's not that God is up there waiting to find out or waiting to see if we truly do or do not rightly discern the Lord's body so He can put something on us. It's not God that's doing anything. So many feel guilty and condemned and therefore do not participate in the celebration of the Lord's Supper because they think they're not worthy. The Bible doesn't say that the person is not worthy. It says there are those who partake of it unworthily or in an improper fashion without full recognition of what it means, without full discernment of the body of the Lord. And for this cause, because of not having the proper discernment, the inability to look into the Lord's body with understanding, for this cause, many are weak, sickly, and die prematurely. You see, beloved, the remedy for all sickness and disease is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order for us to have a solid foundation for faith when it comes to standing against weakness, standing against sickness, standing against premature death, we must have discernment concerning the Lord's body. Because He is the author and the developer of our faith. So this is what it's talking about also, is the very fact that since all deliverance is in Jesus, since all protection is in Jesus, if we don't rightly discern the body of our Lord, we cannot have that solid foundation laid within our lives to overcome weakness, sickness, and prevent premature death. And let me illustrate that. Here is an individual who is 
lying in a hospital, on a bed, dying. He was 39 years old. A few weeks down the road, he would have turned 40. Man of God went to pray for him. And in the process of prayer and about to, to pray for this person's health and well-being, these words came from his lips. What he has set in motion, spiritual law has set in motion that cannot be reversed at this time. Therefore, you see, the fellow is going to die. There's no sense in praying for him. Spiritual law has been set in motion that cannot be reversed at this time. So the fellow is going to die. Well, the fellow died, and in talking to some of the family members there, you know, after his death, two and two was put together, and they came up with four. He found out that from one of the family members, this fellow always said, from a young person, always said, I'll never live to see my 40th birthday. The mother even said, he always said, he'll never live to see his 40th birthday. And said, he just said it recently. We heard him say it again, just before he died. He'll never live to see his 40th birthday. Now, someone might question and say, well, now why did this, this saint of God die prematurely? Why did he die at the age of 40 or 39, almost 40? And I don't understand it. We prayed for him. Others prayed for him. But now notice this. Spiritual law was set in motion that cannot be reversed at this time. Therefore, because it cannot be reversed, he couldn't be helped by God. But how was that law set in motion? That law was set in motion by seed planting and environment. And never forget it, my brother and sister. To sow means to, to, to seed plant in an environment to produce a result. And this fellow had sowed within his life seeds from the devil, suggestive thoughts and ideas from the devil that told him he would never live to see his 40th birthday. He believed those lies. He spoke forth those lies. He acted upon those words. Those words found their lodging within his heart. He believed them to the utmost. And consequently, at this time, when this happened, he set that in motion in such a way that it was too late to reverse the process. Consequently, it resulted in his premature death. Now, my point is this. Had he rightly discerned the Lord's body, he would have not. He would not have died prematurely. Had he understood that in Jesus there is long life, that in Christ we can have an abundance of life, that Jesus died so that he could live long upon this earth. Had he rightly discerned that, he would have laid a foundation for faith in his life that would enable him to rise up to a place in his experience in Jesus, to stand against that premature death. He would have pulled down the stronghold of Satan that was built up through thoughts and imaginations. 
He would have taken into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. He would have said, death is an enemy. It is not the will of God that I die young. I stand against it and I say, I will not only live to see 40, I'll see 45, I'll see 50, I'll see 60, I'll see 70, I'll see 80 by reason of strength of my faith. And you know what? If I'm not satisfied, then I'm just going to wait until I'm satisfied. Because that's what thus saith the Lord. He had gone through the book of Proverbs. He would have discovered that the Bible teaches us ways we can add years and length of days to our lives. You know that's in the Bible? Amen. It's right there in the Word of God. It would teach us how to add years and length of days to our lives. He would have laid a good foundation for his life. But notice this. He died prematurely. Why? Because he didn't rightly discern the Lord's body. He didn't understand the Lord's body. He didn't properly look into it. And consequently... He had no foundation for faith to stand against premature death. Well, there are three aspects to understanding the Lord's body. We're going to talk about all three of them briefly, the last one in particular. And we're going to share information and facts of knowledge that will enable us to lay a good solid foundation in our lives so that we can stand against Weakness, sickness, and spirit, and, and also physical death. Premature physical death. It's obvious that we're all going to die should Jesus tarry. But beloved, we don't have to die prematurely. We can live out the full length of our days. Now, is that being far-fetched or do you believe that out there? Amen. It's, it, it's, it's gospel. It's what the Word of God teaches us. Number one, there is the literal aspect. The body, literal body of Christ. Number two... There is the individual aspect. And number three, there is the collective aspect. Now, you recall one time I did a teaching on discerning the Lord's body, and we talked about, in particular, two. We talked about the literal body of Christ. We talked about the collective body of Christ. But I want you to know that it was just like a flash of light that just came into my spirit that the Spirit of God just enlightened me to say, look, there's another aspect of this I don't want you to leave out. And that is the fact of the individual aspect of the body of Christ. I want you to also elaborate somewhat on that. And so we're going to do that this morning. If you're taking notes, you write that down. There are three aspects to this, to understanding the Lord's body properly, rightly dividing it, rightly understanding it, looking into it properly. And number one, we're going to look at, first of all, the collective aspect of it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're right there, chapter 12 and verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Everybody say with me, I am the body of Christ. Say, we are the body of Christ. That means individually and collectively, we make up the body of Christ. So, rightly looking into the body of Christ means rightly looking into the collective body of Christ as well as the individual body of Christ as well as the literal body of Christ. And when it comes to the collective body of Christ, we must recognize the fact that we need one another. There are those who, who think they can get by in their Christian experience without assembling themselves together with the saints but they fail to recognize that they are needed within the body of Christ. 
They are needed to fellowship. They are needed to take their place because they are a part, whether it be a finger, a thumb, whether it be an arm, a hand, or a leg, or a foot, or a toe, whatever the case may be, they are a part of the body of Christ, a very important part of the body of Christ, and it is absolutely essential to their strength, to their health, and to their long life that they assemble themselves together with the saints, take their rightful place within the body of Christ, and make note of it, and love one another with the love of the living God. That they honor those who are of the household of faith. That they be of one mind and that they be of one accord. And that they come together with one ultimate goal and purpose. And that is to fulfill the plan of God, the purpose of God, the will of God within that local assembly where they fellowship. That they put apart from themselves criticism and being judgmental and all these other things that would divide and bring division and schism within the body, but that they recognize that everyone needs one another. We all need each other. We all have a job to fulfill, a task to perform. We've got to work the work of the Lord here upon this earth, and we need each other to do it. So here is one aspect of the body of Christ. I don't have time to really elaborate too much, but that's one aspect of the body of Christ that we must look into properly if we are going to experience strength, health, and long life. Because not doing it, not respecting the body of Christ in this aspect, means that we're partaking in the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, yet we're not fulfilling one part of what it stands for. Do you see that? So that's very quick, but just make make note of it. It's very important. Number two, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, concerning... The Lord's body. First Corinthians chapter six concerning the Lord's body. Very important to understand if we're going to be strong, healthy, and experience long life upon the earth. First Corinthians chapter six. Let's begin reading at verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies, nice talking about their individual bodies, your bodies, are the members of Christ. Your bodies are the individual members of Christ. Collectively, we make up the entire body of Christ. But individually, our body makes up a member of Christ. In other words, our individual body is the temple of the living God, which we'll see here, and it makes up a member in the body of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined in the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have a God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Make note of this. If a person, male or female, rightly discerns 
the Lord's body in this aspect that that body, this body, your body, his body, her body is the member of Christ. Would he, would she take that body and commit fornication with it? Well, the answer is no. But because people don't rightly discern the Lord's body in that aspect of it, they'll go ahead and use their body to do the things that they want to do with it that are pleasing unto them and not pleasing unto the Lord. Would an individual who rightly discerns the Lord's body, recognizing that his or her body practice homosexuality or lesbianism? No, they would not. And we can see that people who are involved in sexual sins, sins like fornication and other sexual sins, homosexuality and lesbianism and all that, we can see that there's much sickness and much disease connected with their lifestyles. Why? Because they don't rightly discern the Lord's body. They're not looking into this aspect of the Lord's body knowing that that body is the temple of the living God. Consequently, it results in sickness. It results in disease. There's weakness involved here. There's sickness involved here. And there's also premature death. People die prematurely because of these things. Now, that's part A of aspect 2. Part B of aspect 2 is this. We are to glorify God within our physical bodies by presenting our bodies to God and our faculty members unto God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. God has done everything He is going to do. Jesus has done everything He is going to do concerning our physical healing and well-being. In other words, He has made total provision for our success. In aspect two of discerning the Lord's body properly, since this is the temple of God, as a spirit being, it is my duty, it is my responsibility to rise up to a place of faith in the Word of God by laying a strong foundation in God's Word in my life concerning my physical body and what the Bible says about its healing and health. And then I am to use those scriptures to enforce what Jesus has done for me in my life to drive out sickness, to drive out disease. It is my duty, it is my responsibility to be the caretaker of my physical body and to prohibit sickness, to prohibit disease, to forbid it from entering in and living inside my physical body. And that is an aspect of rightly discerning the Lord's body, people of God, that many within the body of Christ fail to recognize. It's not will He heal us, or is it His will that we be healed? It is recognizing that with His stripes we were healed, and since we were healed, and we are the body of Christ, say, my body is the temple of the living God. It's my duty... And my responsibility to glorify God in my body. See, many are waiting for God to do something, but God's not going to do anything more. Jesus won't do anything more because they've already done all that they're going to do. It's our duty to rise up to a place of faith and understanding, discerning this, and then using the word of faith. To present our bodies to God for His work, for His service, so that we can enforce what Jesus has done for us to maintain health and well-being within our physical bodies. 
If we don't do that, then we're not rightly discerning the Lord's body. And of course, it could be a cause of weakness, sickness, and also premature death. Thirdly, I know this is quick, but we cannot expound on, on everything that needs to be said along these lines because it would take forever. Literally, the body of Christ. That's what I want to get into. Literally, the body of Christ. Write down these scriptures, but turn with me to Galatians 3.13. You can write down these other ones as I give them to save time. But turn to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. The third aspect of properly discerning, rightly discerning the Lord's body, looking into it with proper understanding, is understanding what Jesus did on the cross when He suffered and died, not only for our sins, but also for our sicknesses and for our diseases. Literally, looking to Jesus, to what He did on the cross when He bore our sin, when He bore our sickness, when He carried our pains, asking the Spirit of God to enlighten us, to give us understanding, to give us illumination, so that we can appreciate what He did and understand all that has been done for us. Now, first of all, you've got Galatians 3.13, but just write this down. First of all, 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins, where? In his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Now notice that. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were, is past tense, healed. See, in the mind of God, in the eyes of God, what He has already done for us in His great redemptive plan by sending Jesus to the cross and placing upon Him the sin and the sickness of the world in His own mind, the way He views things from His perspective. See, we live in a realm of time. He doesn't. But as He sees it, as he looks upon this earth, in his own mind, we're not trying to be healed. He sees the body of Christ as already healed. We've been healed. We were healed when Jesus bore our sickness upon Calvary. Now, to be quite frank about it, we need the Holy Ghost to enlighten us concerning this matter. Do you know that? Because that throws our minds for a loop. Well, if that be true, then why is this on my body? See, and right away, our wills begin to turn. Wouldn't it be nice if we were just babies and stay babies? I'm talking about, you know, in innocence and, and just accepting the whole plan of God without questioning. Just, just if He said it, it's so. Praise God, that's ultimate faith. If He said it, it's so. If He said I was healed, I was healed. But no, we begin to develop and our thinking faculties begin to, to dominate. And before you know it, we think ourselves, we reason ourselves right out of the things of God. To rightly discern the Lord's literal body, we must understand that, that there is something that took place on that cross that many have failed to see. And what took place that many have failed to see results in the fact that the believer, not is trying to be, but was healed of every sickness and of every disease 
in Jesus. Second scripture is Matthew eight seventeen, which says, Matthew eight seventeen says, Himself, that's Jesus, bear our sickness and carried our pains. That it might be fulfilled by Isaiah the prophet saying, Himself, that is Jesus, bear our sickness and carry our pains. Now, if you're not familiar with these scriptures, I just invite you to go ahead and look at them or write them down and make a note of it. But all this is involved in this third aspect. Understanding the literal body of Jesus. When did He bear our sickness and when did He carry our pains? Well, Matthew 8, 17 tells us, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, saying, himself, that is Jesus, bear our sickness and carried our pain. So once again, we see something happen. Something took place on the cross that many failed to recognize or to acknowledge within their lives. But what took place in the mind of God says that everybody in the body of Christ is already healed. And if you go back to the third scripture, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, it says, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, it says, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and His vicarious suffering upon the cross, that Jesus bore our sickness, carried our pains, and by His stripes we were or are healed. See, that wasn't were because it wasn't past tense then. It was we are healed. He was looking, Isaiah was looking ahead to the, to the cross to Calvary, and Peter was looking back to Calvary when they both made their statements. But Isaiah, it's recorded in the redemptive chapter. Isaiah chapter 53 and 5, verses 4 and 5. Surely he hath borne our griefs, griefs meaning sicknesses, Our pains, pains meaning sorrows and pains. As a matter of fact, if you have the King James Version, it'll say griefs and sorrows. But if you have other translations just like this here, the Amplified Bible, it doesn't say just griefs and sorrows like many put in there. Just say. It says, surely he bore our griefs, our sicknesses and weaknesses. Did you get that? Surely he bore our griefs, our sicknesses and and our weaknesses. Do you see that? Our sicknesses and our weaknesses. Why are many sick? Why are many weak? How many of you know that weakness and sickness, if ever, you know, eventually will end up in what? Physical death. And many are weak and many are sick because they don't rightly discern the Lord's body. But Isaiah 53 said, Surely He bore our sicknesses, our weaknesses carried our pains, but we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, chastised our peace upon him with his stripes. We are healed. And we'll look at that later. But notice again, these scriptures are all talking about something that Jesus did on the cross that the believer has to look into with understanding. Not just has to know that it says that in those scriptures, but the believer has to look into those things with understanding, with proper discernment, if they're going to experience strength, health, and longevity. Now, this scripture over here in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 is another scripture that reveals to us something that happened in the body of Jesus, something that took place in the life of Jesus when he was on the cross. 
And verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written. How many of you know that what God says is, and what God speaks, he does. And when God said it is written, I want you to know it's as sure as the world. It is written. What's written? Cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now notice this. In verse 13, we have a revelation of something that took place in the life of Jesus in the body of our Lord when he died upon Calvary's cross. And that revelation is this. Christ redeemed us, not only from sin, but also from the curse. There was a curse pronounced upon the people of God for their disobedience to the laws and the commandments of God. God gave the Mosaic law. He gave them laws and commandments that they were to observe and to obey. And if they disobeyed his laws and disobeyed his commandments, the result then would end up in certain curses coming upon their lives. And since they were under the law, the potential was for their blessing or their cursing. If they were obedient to the law, they were blessed. If they were disobedient to the law, they were cursed. And they were under that law and there wasn't anybody who could live outside the realm of that law. It was for all the nation of Israel and anyone who would come in to the Israeli nation. Alright? So they're living under the law and that's good but it has a blessing and it has a curse. If they're disobedient, there's a curse pronounced upon them. Now just quickly turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're not going to look at all of it but we're going to expound just on some things concerning the curse of the law. Because we need to reveal the fact that contained within the curse of the law, and people get a hold of this, it's so important. And you say, I've heard this before. Well, hear it again. Because with that attitude that you heard it before, tells me you don't fully discern it. And you don't fully recognize and understand it. I don't think anyone here does, to be quite frank about it. I don't think anybody has given attention to what Jesus has done in such a manner that they have the full perception of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. There's not one of us here in this sanctuary today who has done that. But praise God, some of us know something about it. And we're walking in some of that light. And it's our desire that the light becomes brighter and brighter and brighter more and more to the perfect day. You know what? God's word is so. We're not turning our back on the commandment of God. We're not turning our back on the revelation of God. What God says is, and if he said that he did it, then you know what? We want it, beloved. We want it and we're pressing forward toward the mark. We're not going back. We're going ahead. God has great and wonderful things to reveal, to show us that we know not of. If we only pursue those things. And in Deuteronomy 28... If you'll read the entirety of the book, of the chapter, you'll find revealed the blessing and the curse. The blessing started with verse 1 right on through 14, and then the curse of the law beginning with verse 15 right on through the end. And contained within these verses of Scripture, you'll have revealed... 11 different diseases that are specified as part of the penalty for disobedience to the written law. There will be revealed within these scriptures 
at least 11 different diseases specified as being a part of the curse or the penalty for disobedience to the law and the commandments of God. Number one, being blindness. Number two, being the botch or leprosy. Number three, being consumption or as we know it, tuberculosis. Number four, being emeralds. Then extreme burning, fever, inflammation, the incurable itch, the pestilence, the scab, and madness, which encompasses all sorts, all kinds of mental disorder. Those are 11 different curses specified as being a part of the penalty for the broken law, for disobedience to the written law of God. It doesn't stop there. Go on down and and read verse 58. If thou will not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear the glorious and the fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues of a long continuance and sore sicknesses of a long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee not only these 11 diseases that are mentioned here, and the word means bring upon thee just means he'll permit to come upon you. It's not that he does it. There's no sickness in heaven. God has no sickness. But he will permit to come upon you all the diseases of Egypt which you were afraid of and they will cleave to you also. So now we see it enlarged or expanded. First we have 11 names of sickness and disease specified as being the penalty for the broken law. We named them. Secondly, we see also included would be the the sicknesses and the diseases, the plagues that they saw come upon the Egyptians when Pharaoh refused to let the people of Israel go. They were afraid of those things, but they were protected from those things, which shows us the power and the ability of God to protect them, even though they're right there surrounded by all that sickness and disease. But thirdly, we find that which affects our lives today in verse 61 also, every sickness, everybody say every sickness, every plague, now notice this, every sickness and every plague that leaves none out. Oh, we have not fully grasped this. Every sickness, every plague, which is not written in the book of this law, them will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. Now notice once again, disobedience to the law. See, we're looking at the literal body of Christ. Disobedience to the written law meant these sicknesses and these diseases would come upon the people of God and be upon them. They would be weak. They would be sick. They would die prematurely. They would be weak. They would be sick. They would die prematurely. They'd be wiped out. It would affect them. It would affect their children. Because knowledge is to be passed on from one to the other. The curse would come upon them. But now let's go to Isaiah 53 and let's see this. In Isaiah chapter 53, in the redemptive chapter, we have a graphic picture of Jesus suffering as the sin and sickness substitute for mankind. 
on the cross, literally, Jesus became sin and dealt with the sin and the sickness problem. He dealt with the cause of sickness, which was sin, and provides the cure for sickness, which is the power of God. He became the curse for us on the tree, as the scripture said, taking upon himself the full punishment of the curse that would come upon them for disobedience upon himself on that tree. Why? So that people can be free from sin, free from mental anguish, and free from physical sickness and disease, and they can be protected as they live their life here upon this earth, being surrounded by it all. In Isaiah chapter 53, beginning with verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now I want you to see this in the Amplified Bible because that's a little bit blind to us. He was despised, Isaiah 53, 3, and rejected and forsaken by men, a man of sorrows and pains and acquainted with grief and sickness. And as one from whom men hid their faces or hide their faces, he was despised and we did not appreciate his worth or have any esteem for him. Surely, verse 4, he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distress, and carried our sorrows and pain. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. Let's just hold that thought right there. On the cross, my brother and sister, he said, who's believed our report? To whom is the arm? You know what the arm of the Lord means? The Bible says in Psalms 8 that by his fingers he made the heavens. In Psalms 19, it talks about the hand of the Lord in creating the earth. But here we find out that the arm of the Lord, now notice this, the finger of the Lord, the hand of the Lord. Now it's the whole arm. Who had believed a report? To whom is the arm of the Lord? Talking about the greatest working of God's almighty power took his whole arm. Not just his finger, not just his hand. It took his whole arm. Yeah, he can create the heavens and the earth with his finger in his hand. But when it came to the redemption of mankind, my brother and sister, it took the whole arm of the Lord. It was the greatest working of God's almighty power that was ever displayed anywhere at any time when he raised Jesus up from the dead. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who sees it? Who discerns it? Who understands it? Who looks into it with understanding? Who really knows what Jesus, what God did through Jesus and what God did when He raised Him from the dead by the power of His whole arm and His right hand? Who knows it? Who believes it, He says. And He goes on to say, well, it doesn't matter whether men esteem Him or not, whether they see it or not. The matter of fact is this. Surely He bore our weakness. Surely He bore our sickness. Surely he carried our pains. Surely, surely of a truth I lie not. 
It actually happened. And beloved, that always, notice here, that he dealt with the sickness problem before it mentions the fact that he dealt with the sin problem. But yet your average believer doesn't understand it, doesn't perceive it, doesn't see it, doesn't discern it. And that's why they're weak. And that's why the sickly. And that's why the die prematurely. And as much as we try to put our convictions over off on them, it just doesn't work. They've got to see it for themselves. Did you ever notice that? Oh, would to God, would to God, would to God, the eyes of the people of God would be enlightened to know the hope of their calling. But you see, it's the arm of the Lord that did all this. And let's see this here. He bore our sickness. He carried our pains. Notice verse 5. But He was wounded for... Everybody say, our. See, no one esteemed Him. He was despised. He was rejected. But you know what? He didn't do it for Himself. He was wounded for whose? Whose transgressions? Ours. He was bruised for whose guilt and iniquities? The chastisement needful to to obtain peace and well-being for who? Us. Was upon Him. And with the stripes that wounded Him, we are healed and we are made whole. That means we're no longer weak. We're no longer sick. We no longer have madness, insanity. We don't have anxiety within our minds. We don't have mental disorder. We have freedom from sin, freedom from sickness. We have freedom from disease and freedom from mental anguish. And most importantly, we've got protection if the devil tries to put it back on us. Let's read on. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has made the light on him, the guilt and the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, yet when he was afflicted, he was submissive and opened not his mouth. As a lamb that is led to the slaughter, as a sheep that before her shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. I want you to get a hold of this. You're in Isaiah. Go on back to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. Chapter 50 and verse 4. On the cross, we see literally Jesus being made sin for us who knew no sin so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. On the cross, we see Jesus being made sick, weak, in distress. We see the chastisement of our peace coming upon Him. We see Jesus being made the curse of the law. That means He became those 11 Diseases specified as being the penalty for the broken law. He became identified with the diseases of Egypt. And, are you ready? He became identified with every sickness and every disease that is not written in the book of the law. Meaning AIDS disease, cancer. Meaning muscular dystrophy, multiple sclerosis. Meaning arthritis. Polio and, and go on and name all the diseases that are mentioned upon the face of the earth. And the Bible says on that cross, he actually became that curse literally. It pleased the Father to bruise him and to put this all upon him. Now the mind can hardly grasp it, I mean, and understand it, but yet we see it so in the scriptures. 
And we hear Isaiah saying, by the Spirit of God, who believed it, who can receive it, who can understand it, who will declare that it's so. But regardless, surely it happened. And it was Jehovah, God the Father, putting it all on His Son. But I want you to see this. On that cross, Jesus did not rebel. The Bible said He was led as a lamb before her shears, but He openeth not His what? I want to tell you why He didn't open His mouth. Because He was forsaken of the Father and the Spirit left them. You understand? Do we understand that? Was He forsaken of God or not? Do you know what sustained the Son of God on the cross of Calvary? The Word in His life. Look at the Scripture. The same thing that can sustain you and me. The Word in His life. Look at The Lord hath given me the tongue, this is speaking of Jesus, of the learned. Jesus did not open His mouth in rebellion because the Father gave Him the tongue of the learned. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. And what that means is he had communication with the Father. He had intimacy with the Father. And he got before the Father's presence in the morning. And the Father taught him how to use his tongue rightly, properly. He had insight and revelation to the power of the tongue. He knew that death and life are in the power of the tongue. He had the tongue. He possessed the tongue of the learned. So when he got before his accusers, and it was right there before those who wanted to kill him and who, 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 who did all the things that they did to him, he did not open up his mouth because he knew that he had to speak the right things. He had the tongue of the learned. Next. The Lord hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away. In other words, He gave the revelation of what I had to do. He revealed to me His great plan, and I did not rebel at what He asked me to do, and turned my back on His holy word. And although it would not have been His absolute will, for He said, Not mine will be done, but thine be done, He did not open up His mouth to say anything that would contradict what the will of the Father was for His life in becoming the curse of the law on Calvary in bearing our sins, our sicknesses, and our mental torment. He didn't open up His mouth. He didn't turn His back. He did not rebel at the Father's plan. And it goes on to say, look at, in spite of all this, Verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Go back to Isaiah 52. In other words, when all this was happening, when they beat me, when they bruised me, when they spit upon me, when they plucked out my hair, when they buffeted my face, when my eyes were closed shut, when I couldn't see who hit me. So they said, prophesy, if you know so much, who's the one that hit you? Who's the one that was smiting you upon the face? Prophesy if you're the son of God, if you're the great prophet, if you're the great healer. Save thyself and come down if you're the king of Israel. As they mocked him, as they ridiculed him, as they buffeted him, as they beat him, as they tormented him. As they mutilated his very body. As the curse came upon him, it pleased Jehovah to bruise him. 52 verse 
13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted, extolled, and be very high. As many as were astonished at thee, his vision was so marge, marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And all that means is that his figure was so disfigured and so marred, it meant his appearance was so mutilated and so torn that even the hardest heart of any criminal could not stand to look at the body of the Lord Jesus Christ there upon the Calvary's cross because it made that person sick to his stomach. His visage was so marred more than any man. Never saw anything like it. What has this man done to deserve such mutilation to his body? Plucked out his hair, buffeted his face, beat his back open. That's enough to kill any man. You can't imagine. Spit upon him. All the things that they did to disfigure him. He's, he'd look like a man. Not deserting the Lord's body. That's what they did to his body. And in verse seven of Isaiah, or verse ten of Isaiah, chapter fifty-three, it says, "Yet, in other words, even though the father knew what it would be like, what would happen to his son, it pleased the Lord to bruise him." Beloved, you know what that's saying? The father was not pleased with his mutilation, the mutilation of his body. He wasn't pleased with that. He was pleased. That the plan of redemption was being fulfilled. It pleased him to make him sick. See, that's blind in, in verse 10 over there in, in Isaiah. I want to read to you from the Amplified, and you can get other translations, and you'll see that it will agree. Isaiah 53 and verse 10. Yet it is the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief, and he made him sick. And what that is saying is that on that cross, he became the curse of the law. He made him to be literal sickness as well as sin. He dealt with the sin problem. He dealt with the sickness problem. And his body, because of it all, was mutilated. Deformed in every way. So marred more than any man. They couldn't stand to look at it. All the diseases of Egypt, paying the penalty for it all, came upon him. Now, are you ready for the scripture again? Who his own self bear my sins and his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live to righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. Let's go back to Galatians and we'll close it out right here. Chapter 3. Because I've got some blessed news for you. <clears throat> Especially for those of you who have never heard these truths before. Galatians chapter 3. How many of you remember that the Israelites, when they were in trouble because of their disobedience... They had fiery serpents coming and devouring them and killing them. That Moses lifted up the brazen serpent in the wilderness and said, Look, gaze upon it with a steadfast look, and whosoever will, will be healed. How many remember that? And those who looked were healed, and those who did not look 
died. How many of you remember that? How many of you recall the fact that Jesus said and recorded in John chapter 3, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Remember that? And what he's saying is that as they had to look to the brazen serpent with a steadfast look, looking into its type, we must look to the antitype. The Lord Jesus himself, look into what happened to him on that cross with a steadfast look to get insight and understanding that is proper so that we will not perish, so that we will not be weak, sick, or die prematurely. That's what he said. Now notice in Galatians chapter 3. If you read the entirety of the, of the, of the chapter, you find out he's talking about being under the law and being under grace. And how that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Because if we're under any law like they were back then, then the curse is also there to come upon us. But if we're not under the law any longer, glory to God. Because they said we should live our lives by the law. Well, if you're under the law and you break one jot, one tittle of the law, then you're going to have sickness and disease and all these things come upon you. And Paul was saying, look, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming the curse for us. Why would you want to live under the law and be in a position to have the curse to come back upon you? He said, that's ridiculous. And he explained what the law was for, talked about its purpose and its reason for being there. And go on to verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. The law was the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It had the potential to have the curse to come upon them. But now that Christ has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. What does that mean? Now that Christ has come, we're no longer under the law. What does that mean? Now that we're not under the law, the curse has been removed. Every sickness, every disease, the plague of the Egyptians, and every name of sickness and every name of disease that is mentioned, not, not in the, that's not mentioned in the book of the law. Jesus became that for us. Jesus has set us free from it. He has conquered the curse of the law for you. He's conquered the curse of the law for me. And if we'll get insight into this, when a disease such as cancer tries to come into our bodies and to take our lives, we can just sit back, we can look at the Word, and we can say, according to Deuteronomy 28.61, Jesus Christ has redeemed me from every sickness and every disease that is named, that is not named in the book of the law, according to Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of cancer. It's removed from my life. It has no power over my life. I am delivered. I am set free. And you know what? One lady did that. She heard this message, the message just similar to this. She heard it. You know what she did? She was blind. And her blindness was mentioned in Deuteronomy 28. And Dr. Lillaby B. Yeomans told her this, this message and said, just go to the two scriptures back and forth and just keep looking at them. Steadfastly look at them and saying them. Are you ready for this? And she said, according to Deuteronomy 28, blindness is mentioned as the curse of the law. But according to Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law. Therefore, I'm redeemed from the curse of blindness. 
And she did it. And kept saying it and looking into it. And her blindness left. Her blindness left. She's able to see. Once she got spiritual sight, it gave her natural sight. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.